That's what I was. Okay. Hey, boys. There he is. Welcome back. Never Craig. Easier. Now, I'm really hoping he's recording. So keep on talking while I fix other things. Hey, listeners. <laughs> he says he's recording. I mean, I tend to believe Craig. Yeah, he's never lied to us before. There was that one time. There was that one time. That's true. That one time where you kind of left us hanging. Yeah. So, I feel like they should all get one, though. Yeah. Yeah. My friends, what lays before you is the myriad knowledge of an unfathomable universe. Join our intrepid remembrancers as they explore the heresy as history. From deep within the farthest reaches of the great library of Tiska, we are the Heresy Grad School. So said the War Master in his wisdom. Go forth, my sons, and illuminate them. Welcome back. We're, we're live. Welcome back to an episode of Heresy Grad School, although this is more of a special episode, so I think we can call it fantasy grad school because we're going back for some deep lore yeah welcome back guys um it's been a while uh, i want to say it's been like almost a month maybe more yeah probably close to a month we kind of took three-fourths of december off like we yeah. released one episode yeah which in which in fairness right for most for most, most podcasts is, I think, m- m- normal, maybe. The recoup month. Yeah. But, Don't um... Worry, guys. You had plenty of uh, Remembrancer's Retreat to listen to, so, so you're good. So what I think we're going to do for this one, um... Yeah, so Pat, you kind of alluded to it. We're going to just kick off the new year with something uh, a little off the reservation. Um, we're going to do this as a one-off, but uh, if the listeners decide that this is something uh, they're super excited about and, and want more of, then we'll figure out a way to work it into the schedule. But I don't want anyone freaking out. Uh, we have not, not suddenly become a, a Warhammer uh, fantasy podcast. So uh, we're just all sort of really in love with this book because uh you know, Jason's army, Warhammer fantasy army is from this book. My Warhammer fantasy army is from this book. And um, it is sort of the the equivalent to the the uh, the black books, right? So it was, it was written by Alan Bly a uh, long, long time ago in, in ages past. Um, it's a story that he and Rick Priestley developed. And uh, if you've never seen it and you don't know what the fuck we're talking about, Go get you a copy of Tamarcon. The Throne of Chaos. God, just that name kind of like gives you shivers, you know? Right? It's kind of badass. But I think we originally came up with the idea for this a long, long, comparatively long time ago. Back when, um, what is, uh, what was Games Workshop's teaser like it's uh everything always comes back around yes squares wasn't that normal or excuse me not normals yeah wasn't that in november or was it i felt like it was farther ago than that 
Hmm. But, you know, Games Workshop then came out and promised sometime, somewhere, at some point, something will happen with Warhammer Fantasy Battle. They don't know what yet. <laughs> you nerds complained point. enough, so here you go. We're they, not going to tell you what yet. They even couched it, though, right, when Warhammer Community sort of did finally release, like, I think the the logo, right, which was like the old world. They even couched it in that, um, you know, this is not that unprecedented, like... The old world is to Age of Sigmar as the Horus Heresy is to 40k. And I was like, fucking told you! (laughs) You can't dumb this shit down! (laughs) Streamlined! Right? Yeah. It's perfect. No, but hopefully, you know, hopefully um, that's exactly what it will be, right? Um, Because you can't be upset with with the treatment that the Horus Heresy has gotten from Forge World over like, I think almost 10 years now. So, I mean, if the old world, if Warhammer Fantasy comes back and gets even close to the same treatment, uh, I will be a very happy camper. So, so I think that's, that's certainly what I'm holding out for. And I mean, if it goes mainline, that's cool too. But I had the impression that it was going to be sort of under specialist games or forge world, you know, like that was going to be their, you know, one of their, one of their lines, but I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, I I definitely would be all about a resurgence of fantasy. I mean, shit, I I bought an entire Bretonians army just because I got excited. Um, No, thanks to you too. And like, I, I understand Age of Sigmar. They 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 have a solid group of players. They have some beautiful models. I just the the lore just wasn't doing it for me. It just wasn't in my heart. And so I'm I'm really excited for you know again. It's gonna be several years. They've already told us that hey you know it might be three, might be four, but it's there. It, just the idea that it's there kind of gives me some hope. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's um, it's good. I mean, I you know, their Games Workshop is always watching, right? They're nothing if a fucking brilliant market research uh, company. So they were watching. They saw. They were watching. They saw people were still playing. They saw people playing Ninth Age and whatever that other game is, and bringing stuff out. And and uh, you know, the sales were still kicking um, on eBay and stuff. Uh, so. So it's a smart move. I think it's a smart move for the company. And, uh, and yeah, so, so enough about all that, right? But how are we going to do this, guys? Because this is a big book. This is a tome of lore that is every bit as, you know, um, packed full of, of uh, amazing uh, rabbit holes and everything else that we talk about when we talk about the black books. Like, we're not going to unpack this in one go, but we are going to give listeners sort of what, like an overview, maybe. Yeah, maybe a light overview, a little taste of a couple chapters. Um, yeah, just just kind of light. We want to touch on this. We want to see how you what you guys feel about you know us talking fantasy, even though we mostly do you know heresy, and and just see where it goes. You know, I'm just going to ramble about chaos doors for 15 minutes. <laughs> Perfect. Fantastic. So Jason's going to ramble about Chaos Wars for 15 minutes, which is going to be amazing and entertaining. Pat, what are you going to talk about? 
So um, there's a really awesome section about uh, when um, Tamarcon's army is going through this, I think it's Blackfire Pass or something like that, and he has to deal with um, hordes of, of night goblins. And I really want to talk about that just because I am a green skin player at heart, although I do have a very large Bretonian army staring at me unpainted, judging me right now. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just love the vivid descriptions of all of the monstrous creatures and then how you can tie that back to like the actual Forge World catalog. That was, I think like a lot of those old Forge World resin models were released alongside of this book and just kind of showing you like, Hey, you know, when Jason's talking about the chaos dwarves, you can go to the site now and essentially buy every one of those kits that they are talking about, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, th this, this book did generate some amazing um, Forge World models for the fantasy line. And uh, I have most, if not all of them, for the Empire. So that's what I'm mm -hmm. going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about, I'm going to be talking about Nuln and the sort of the last stand of uh, the Empire against Tamarcon's Horde at the gates of Nuln and uh, some really cool unit descriptions. So I might skip some of the fluff and I might just go to uh, sort of some unit descriptions and some of the uh, amazing full color plates that are in uh, Tamarcon. So I think we're all going to maybe approach it from a different angle, which is cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. All about it. Hey, uh, fun fact. I just learned a little while ago. Um, you're mentioning terrific models and that's what made me think of it. So you guys all know and love the Kadai for the uh, Chaos Dwarves. Uh, the Kadai Fireborn they're arguably not that great in the game, but they are phenomenal models. They're like animated suits of uh, fiery armor. armor, right? Yeah, it's like it's essentially a fire demon crammed inside a bound, hexagramically warded suit of armor, and they have like these giant chain flails and these giant like razor sharp claws. Uh, there's a larger version of a Kadai, which uh, anybody who's ever fought a Chaos Dwarf <laughs> army has learned to hate immediately, mm -hmm. uh, called the Kadai Destroyer. And they are, they were one of the few things that did not get a model release. And while digging through a bunch of stuff, I think I remember like seeing it at like a games day or something, there was a demo model for it. And it was not spectacularly well-received. Uh, folks thought it was pretty goofy-looking. But uh, it's pretty easy to track down if you, you know, put your Google skills to use. But um, I ran across some old blog posts that uh, updated it since uh, we got Age of Sigmar before the uh, Kadai Destroyer ever officially came out. It was actually repurposed, like the sculpt they demoed, into, um, oh, what's it called? It's like a Chogoroth of, uh, like the greater Chogoroth of corn that's uh, available from Forge World now. So apparently that's where the demo model for the Kadai Destroyer ended up. Huh. That is interesting. Yeah, right? 
Yeah, there's. I'm not gonna lie. There's some stuff coming out for Age of Sigmar that, and I have this conversation with some guys online. Um, we talk about whether or not it's backwards compatible, right? Which means like, could you fucking pull it off the circle base and put it on a square base, and would you be good to go, right? And what would it look like? Um, so yeah, there's a ton of stuff out there for Age of Sigmar that is 100% backwards compatible. Um, and, and it's gorgeous because the sculpts that they're coming out with are amazing. So, uh, so yeah, maybe there's even a better Kadaik destroyer out there now. I mean, Jason, you use a pretty awesome model for your Kadai destroyer, but that's not, that's not a GW model. It is not. Um, it is a golem. From, it's an infernal golem from Titan Forge. And it's pretty badass. It's um, like a giant metal bull, but he's got like four arms, each of which have like a pretty sweet looking axe. And uh, I'm a big fan of it so far. Everything else I've got in my Chaos Dwarf Army is uh, the GW models, uh, except for that one. But I'm a big fan. Yeah, awesome. I'm a big fan of how it looks. I'm not a big fan of how it fucking just rolls over my army when it's on the table. They are pretty swingy. Uh, <laughs> they can knock down entire units by themselves, but as soon as they hit like a hero with uh, one of those Dragonbane gems, or God forbid, a unit with the uh, fire protection banner where everything gets a two-up ward against fire, it's just a hard stop. Mm. Yeah, Warhammer Fantasy does have those those hard counters. Um, a little bit like heresy right when you're talking about like you know the spartan as is like a pretty strong piece but then you know the hard counter of the spartan is the um the lightning with you know four kraken penetrators right so i mean it does I mean, those things exist those dynamics exist for sure uh in in warhammer fantasy as well maybe even more to a greater extent but i, I think there's also more ways to get around it i guess it really goes to show how much of a mech player i am and that my hard counter to a Spartan, I didn't even think of a lightning. It was just a Volterax amped up on Cyberthergy. <laughs> it's a, just a, an amped up Volterax. It's awesome. Yeah, you just give him the, um, you know, the machine meth and uh, let him loose. Perfect. Well, enough about that 30k heresy stuff. I mean, right? Ugh, God, God, who plays that, right? <laughs> <laughs> So, Jason, do you want to just jump into it, man, since you're kind of, we're kind of there already? Absolutely. Perfect. All right. So, guys, let's talk. I mean, I'm putting my paintbrush down. We're going to talk some Chaos Dwarves. So, besides just the gorgeous model range, um, I've still got some of the... Uh, little fire glaive dudes in their original forge world packaging Whew. these guys i love to death now i don't own a whole bunch of the older um what are lovingly referred to as the big hats but um let me tell you some of those old uh big hat models are pretty spectacular And uh, they have a very interesting sort of Babylonian or Assyrian feel. They've got like, you know, the curled beards. They've got, you know, very tall stovepipe hats. They're pretty interesting. Uh, all of the models I use for my actual game army are the sort of uh, Mordor Doom Turtle 
sort of deal. But uh, enough about models. Let's talk about some history of the Chaos Dwarfs. That's uh, dwarfs with a <laughs> RFS. So, if you want to check this business out, we're looking at page 164 on the gorgeous Tomarcon tome, The History of the Chaos Dwarfs, uh, known as the Dawe Zar, or Ozkol Doraz Zar, as they refer to themselves in their corrupted tongue. So, this is what happens to dwarves who are too stubborn to die, but they, while they're resistant to chaos, they are not immune to it in the same way that while garden variety dwarves, I refer to them as vanilla dwarves and spicy dwarves, respectively, uh, they're not immune to the influence of chaos and magic, merely resistant. So given hundreds and hundreds of years and this sort of isolation in their own little microcosm, a very sort of special evolution took place. So many, many thousands of years ago, during the great expansion of the dwarf race, uh, way, way before mankind and the 12 barbarian tribes were even a thing, uh, the dwarfs had expanded as far as they could go, and one of the most uh, ore, gem, metal-rich lands they could find was what's known uh, as the World's Edge Mountains, and even beyond them. Now, they've excavated and expanded their entire, like, you know, subterranean under-empire. Uh, and they even have their fortress cities linked by miles and miles of mine works and underground causeways bigger than anything men have ever built on the surface. Now, uh, one of the most ore-rich places they've ever been able to find, uh, they've come to a place they've named the Zorn Uzkul or the Great Skull Land, as if the foreshadowing weren't heavy enough. It's this massive plateau that's more or less completely inhospitable. Um, even when the dwarves first found it, it was basically a frigid desert littered with the wind-scoured bones of ancient and unknown dead. The mineral wealth was off the charts here, but even to the dwarves who are known to get you know, pretty greedy and heavy-handed with the wealth in the mining, it seemed off-putting, kind of tainted and unclean. And a lot of the dwarves showed up there, would not have anything to do with it. They named it accursed and turned aside. And they either uh, retreated back to the more well-established holds, or some of them even chose to bypass it entirely and try to uh, journey into Norska or... Uh, maybe even east and south down to the mountains of Morn. However, uh, some refused in typical dwarfish fashion to give up and set up shop in the Great Skull Land no matter what happened. And at first, they managed to, you know, maintain just as well as operations as any other dwarven hold and really uh, carve out a pretty impressive niche for themselves. Uh, the problem is, as they started to expand, not only outwards, but as dwarfs do, downwards, uh, they dug too deep. Uh, the world darkened, and foul things crawled from the depths of their holds to sunder the dwarf under-empire and sever contact between the farthest-flung dwarf holds. So contact started becoming erratic and infrequent. 
And as each of them started to become you know, almost xenophobic and closed down and become isolationist, the great time of chaos descended across the world entirely. And these dwarf kingdoms that were already having trouble with communication were completely cut off and thought lost forever. Uh, the dwarf holds in the south had bigger things to deal with. And the dwarf holds of the west uh, kind of in the same deal. So as Asavar Kool is kind of ravaging across the land, these dwarf holds are buttoned up. And the kind of cousins in the northwest are not, uh, you know, not chief in their mind. So it wasn't an immediate thing, the sort of mutation of, um, oh, I'm sorry, dwarves, they'd be in the east, check mark that. So, uh, Zorn Uzkul is to the east of, like, Karaz Karak, northeast. But, uh, a lot of their history is still corrupted. So even the Chaos Dwarfs themselves don't really know the full saga of their, uh, of their origin story. And though they know at one point they were almost completely destroyed, it was that same uh, stubborn refusal to die and surrender, even in the face of this like unspeakable horror and death that they endured, that also sort of doomed them. So instead of being wiped out, they mutated into something arguably worse because it was around this time when they were at their lowest ebb and were almost destroyed they came to find a new patron god Hushut the father of darkness so as they slowly turned more and more to Hushut and the sort of dark and evil things the god asked of them they slowly began to increase in number and restore themselves in power even though they were barely recognizable from the dwarf kind they had been so while the dwarf race is usually very resilient to chaos, uh, none of the dwarves that lived in the shadows of the mountains of Morn had changed quickly, but they had changed inexorably and they'd become twisted in both body and mind. They still sort of superficially resemble other dwarf kind, but they also possess uh, a lot of different physical mutations. Uh, protruding tusks are very common. Uh, they're typically gray flesh, and they have a sort of red or orange glowing eyes. A lot of them have small horns on their forehead, and uh, some of the worst, uh, the chaos sorcerers in the dwarf race, have these uh, cloven hooves and small tails, things like that. So while chaos has slowly, over hundreds of years, worked these changes on the chaos dwarves, uh, they have also worked on the mind as well. That sort of uh, stubborn determination and their love of craftsmanship and industry, it's slowly been sort of perverted, and now they're pitiless and macabre and cold-hearted, devoid of mercy, consumed by a need to enslave and dominate. And this is basically what drives the Chaos Dwarf race as a whole. They're not... They see the race of men as overextending themselves, as in a hurry to conquer, they're stretching themselves too thin. And they see themselves as calm and implacable, and they have no reason to overextend themselves 
in a hurry because they've slowly grown just like uh, some of their inexorable war machines. They have slowly but irreversibly crept out from their um, major cities. And one of the cool little box outs uh, on page 165 that I'm going to read for you guys, it's a really cool look at Hushut. Uh, the god of the Chaos Dwarves is Hushut, father of darkness, a grim and malignant being often represented as a blazing bull wreathed in smoke and shadows. Hushut is a chaos god, although some scholars of the arcane would label him as an arc demon rather than a god, while others insist it is some form of foul entity let loose upon the world during the time of chaos. Hushut is closely associated with tyranny, greed, fire, and hatred, and it is a being whose gift of power comes at a terrible price. As with much of their origin, just how the dwarfs of the East came to seal their pact with Hushut remains shrouded in the dark times of the great sundering of the world by chaos, and in truth the chaos dwarves themselves may have only had a dim and warped understanding of how they became bound with their nightmarish god. The twisted twisted runic cartouches that adorn their fire temples do, however, speak of the abandonment of the dwarfs of Zorn Uzkul by their ancestor gods during the Great Cataclysm, their finding of salvation and succor with their new god and their thirst of Hashut for sacrifice and subjugation in return for his patronage. Over the centuries, in return for flesh and blood, homage and devotion, Hushut has gifted the Chaos Dwarfs with malign secrets and powerful sorcery that, when fused with their mastery of industry and forgecraft, do create many demon-fused machineries and monstrous engines of war, dominion over the fires of the earth, and arcane and malevolent lore that has brutalized both their sanity and soul. The pact between the Chaos Dwarfs and their dark god has only deepened over time, and grown to the point where the tendrils of Hushut's malevolence and the Chaos Dwarfs' own bitter souls have become as one. So guys, what do you think about that? I think it's very curious that it says specifically Hushut is a Chaos God, though some of the scholars of the Arcane would label him as an Arc Demon, while others insist he's a form of foul entity let loose upon the world during the time of Chaos. Well, I mean, first, first, I don't think there's not like a direct analog between Warhammer Fantasy and uh, Warhammer Forty Thousand, sort of the universe that that we are familiar with, right? With the four main, you know, the pantheon of gods, right? There is not. So I think I, I think in in the in the Warhammer mythos and the Warhammer cosmos, it's just a much it's a much more diverse, it's a much more rich, right? Like you've got Cain, uh, the Dark Elves, you know, worship Cain, the god of slaughter and pain and suffering. And so um, these are all pantheons within, I think, the, wor the, the world of chaos as, as uh, it exists in, in the old world, right? Um, so I do, I think there's room for these, like um, major, minor uh entities of chaos i don't know what do you think jason well it's a good point with the eldar gods um well elven gods in this case there are analogs in 40k for like um 
Kali, Mincha, Cain, for Assyrian, for Isha, but there are not analogs for Hushut or um, the, uh, oh gosh, what's the, uh, the horned rat? Uh, yeah, the, uh, the Skaven, Skaven Lord. Yeah. Yeah, but like with orcs, you still have Gork and Mork through Burr's settings. And I think it's interesting how these Hushut and the horned rat essentially don't, they're kind of unique. You know, they don't have analogs in 40K. You know, you're right. You know, that's, I think that maybe speaks more to how the two cosmoses have, have evolved maybe and grown apart because, um, yeah, when I think about Cain for the Dark Elves, uh, very different than the way I think about Cain for the Eldar. Um, you know, but it, yeah, there are still analogs. You're right. At least they're still the same names um, and, and sometimes the same entities uh, for sure. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool, man. Um, I think it's it just it paints such a, a, a more rich uh, setting picture uh for uh for warhammer you know i mean i would though uh going back to what you're saying about like hashut maybe being a minor demon in in whatever the fantasy pantheon might be um but i mean we do have instances within the 30k of minor demons trying to get the upper hand or trying to um subvert for their will not necessarily for a specific power like Nur nurgle or corn but for their own whims so i mean little bit of comparison there but i don't know yeah yeah i yeah it's who knows man but uh but jason i i did want to say that like um when we were kind of going back and forth on 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 where things exist on the maps, I think there are some amazing maps in. It's part of the reason why I love this book, right? Is is the the maps? Like, if you like going to the dark places in, um, you know, on a map or in a setting, right? Places where maybe the light has never shined. You you don't have that. You know, you don't know in detail what lies there, man. If you go to page forty four. I mean, you're going to get some crazy detail on some of the dark lands, the blasted wastes, the, the gates of Tsar, right? Some of these holdings of the, um, the legions of uh, Asgore, right? Um, so I don't know. Jason, did you want to say anything about the maps or are you kind of sticking on the descriptions? Uh, maps are entirely your deal. <laughs> well that's fair that's fair i you know i i do i do i love the i mean it's just like um and we'll get into this a little bit more later but it's this whole book is set up to basically follow the journey of tamar khan's horde um from the chaos waste you know west through the mountains of morn uh, down into the the dark lands and the blasted wastes and the and the border princes and I mean the whole journey is just it's amazingly blown out. You get place names, you get um, details of of like encampments and tribes and um, I mean just so much depth here. There's there's probably more detail packed into this book um, 
than really in any of the other uh, core Warhammer fantasy books. Because the Warhammer fantasy books, even from edition to edition to edition, you're, they're exploring the same thing, you know? This is where the High Elves live, you know, the island of Ulthwan. You know, this is where the Dark Elves live, you know, in Nagaroth, right? And it's just like, and it's sort of, it's repetition ad nauseum when you go from edition to edition. You get a little bit of, of detail, but man, does this book shine some light into some dark places. Cool. So, and I mean, <laughs> I'd at least say three-fourths of it is just fluff, you know? Um, oh, yeah. That's... Yeah. I mean, the entire, what is it, like six main chapters are phenomenal. Oh, yeah. And each one is like a teeny novella. Yeah, that's exactly how I think it's set up. Yeah, absolutely. And it, even in the back, you play through each kind of chapter as its own campaign and scenario. Mm-hmm. But Pat, uh, Pat let's uh, speaking of shining light into dark places... Let's uh let's go over to you for um some night gabos. Yeah, yep. some dark yeah. night gabos. Yeah, yeah, get dude. after it. So uh we're going to kind of take a look at chapter 4 listeners if you have your book at home. It starts around page 53 and it's talking about how Tamarcon is going through, let's see. Let me see if I can find it on the map. I think it is Blackfire Pass, I want to say. Let me see. Yep. Um, and just how he's being... It, it talks at first about um, how they're entering this pass, and there's these dwarven ruins and these old sculptures that have been standing there since the dawn of the beginning of time. Um, and how they keep on getting harassed by these shadowy figures and, and dark cloaks and being hit by swarms of arrows and they later begin to find out that it's night goblins. Um, And I think one of my favorite parts of this book is on page 55. Well, there are two favorite parts. I'll say this much on page 55. um, There's this, it's essentially a full page call out box to night goblins. Um, And just the artist rendition of a night goblin it is if I had to pick any green skin and I will say this for 40 K or fantasy, this is probably my favorite drawing of a, of, of a green skin. Um, just because it's been used so many times throughout and you can see it in so many different models, whether it be on in forge world or GW proper or in some of their subcategories. Um, like when they released the uh, Warhammer Fantasy MMO, they released a special edition model that had an orc with a night goblin shaman on his shoulders. And like every single piece on this image is the exact same as every single piece on that model. Um, but one of the things I really wanted to talk about is how you can really see like the descriptions, there's a major battle between the night goblins and the, uh, the, the horde of Temurkai, or at least the very beginning of the horde of Temurkai. Um, let me see. So, um, one of the descriptions I want to talk about is probably Jason, you'll, you'll have to correct me on this, but I, I imagine this is one of your favorite 
dwarf demon engines, but it's talking about the iron demon engine. So oh, quick, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they um, are annoying. Yeah, so quickly from behind the spread spreading dust, screaming steam like the death cries of of damned souls, an iron demon engine hove into view, dragging behind it a double carriage train, one of fuel and the other of heavy tubular cannons around which a trio of hellsmiths were hurriedly chanting and spraying boiling hot blood from golden thribbles onto its bell-like casing. There's something so malicious and wonderful about the idea of just thinking about you have these dwarven hellsmiths trying to consecrate their their evil weapons with with boiling blood you know right they're like reverse mechanicum yeah but um and let's see and then we come down a little farther on page 58 um the iron demon ground once more into motion and dragged unknowing numbers of night goblins to their death beneath its wheels and against the many barbs and blades that adorned it the hellish machine Machines cannonades fired, shredding trolls and night goblins apart before it hit in a welter of gore, and the war machine seemed to howl and roar like a living thing at the sl- at the slaughter it wrought. And I mean, the these descriptions you, you can't get any better. I mean, it's Alan Blythe at his finest, of course. Um But I do find it interesting that so they don't directly mention the name of the beast um, in this next part that I'm going to mention, but but very much hints towards um, what most of you would probably know if you play Greenskins is the Colossal Squig. So um, an answer, a weird whistling, double crying echo around the press and pass is hearing night goblins answered with whooping shrills and cries. <clears throat> of their own as from a a vast yawning gateway in the mountainside, two freakish and enormous creatures half crawled, half bounded into view. Even Sael the faithless was momentarily struck aghast for he had never seen their like. They were colossal pumpkin like things with rubbery, rubbery fungoid flesh and unwholesome yellow freckled scarlets. Their bodies were swollen like rotten heads with slavering slip mouths filled with sword-length fangs as wide as a tower gate. Even as Sael watched, he saw the first of the hulking monsters throw itself heedlessly into the press of the battle, uncaring whether it crushed friend or foe beneath its bulk. Its impossible wide mouth working hungrily, devouring fangs, dragging out screaming rasps of torturous metal as they pierced and severed its steel-plating prey. Beneath the onslaught of the colossal thing, one of the infernal regiments disintegrated in a bloody mayhem, collapsing one point of the defense triangle. Its survivors overwhelmed and dragged down as they attempt to flee the all-devouring monster behind them. Just the idea of an entire squad of immortal... um, chaos dwarves running away from from a squig is is pretty uh imaginary and fantastic we do we have those models now right like i know that forge world has uh so forge world yeah so forge world has a variant and then games workshop um 
this year uh, revamped all their night goblins. Yeah. And so there's now the bounding, there's a bounding duo of colossal squigs. Um, so that's, which is fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, no, fantastic. The night goblins are probably my, one of my favorite uh, releases of models, right? For, I mean, it's for age of Sigmar, but every one of those models is, is backwards compatible. I think, um, you know, uh, we actually got models that I think we haven't seen before um, that you can use uh, yeah. with some of these rules. Pat, I don't know. What do you think, man? Uh, you get a whole tribe of night goblins in this book. You get the murder grins. Yeah. So, I mean, if you scroll down even farther, uh, they have all of the different tribes. The The murder grins are are pretty fantastic. And then you have like they go through their different shamanistic staves and things like that. Um, there is a point or, and they even bring up uh, the, the giant um, spiders that they all ride, mm-hmm. which I mean, damn you Dave for making me re read this book or really reread this book because now I'm rethinking doing goblins. So it's all your fault. Um. <laughs> You're welcome. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, man. I mean, I think like you're basically saying, right? This, I think this book and the art, the artwork that's in this book, and sort of some of the concepts that are in this book. I mean, really did inform uh, a lot of the new models that we've seen. You know, and it's it's taken six years, but you know, I mean, here we are. Yeah, you know, that's just sort of the timeline for some of these things. Um, everything's, you know, look, looks like it's going to come back around again. Um, so yeah, man, if I were not, you know, balls deep in three fantasy armies already, uh, this would 100% would be my next army. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I love, I just love the flavor of the night goblins. They're so crazy, man. And they just, they bring back all the, they bring back all that crazy, um, you know, just you don't really know what's going to happen, but you don't really care. You know, it's it's the it's the night goblin fanatic, right? That breaks out of the lines and and is swirling a giant yeah. ball. And and they mention it a couple of times in this section. Again, I could probably sit here and read this entire section, and we'd be here for an extra hour or so. But um, yeah, just just the idea that. I think what what makes me like night goblins the most is the fact that they aren't withholden to orcs. You know, they they're they're part of that general race, but they don't bow down to them. And and to be honest, most orcs avoid them because they're all fanatics. They're all insane. And um, that I think that happened more in eighth edition because they combined orcs and goblins, right? I don't know. Was that always a thing? That was always a thing. And I feel like this, this book and listeners feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure we'll get some comments. Um, like you could always run a goblins list, but I think this book kind of more solidifies the idea of goblins can be their own thing. But I mean, there's, there's always been um, the crooked moon tribe, which, which has been predominantly goblins and, and run by a goblin. Um, but uh, I don't know. Th- this just gives 
gives me more credence and more want to to run an only goblin list. So. Well, you, you should you should get on that, Pat. You yeah, get on well, that. Let me get past all my 530k different things that uh-huh. I have done. Yeah, but Very that's cool. it for me. I think we're on to Noel, right, Dave? So, um, I have recently completed uh, probably w- one of my lifetime right like achievements, right? So, bucket list kind of stuff for my my hobby and uh and i acquired a land ship this is sort of how this whole thing started right so i acquired a land ship um and then i had to complete the army so because you know that's what you have to do when you get a land ship um and so i i completed my army of known uh based around 40 um, known Ironsides, which are handgunners um, uh, with heavy armor, and of course their their character Jubal Falk, uh, who's the he's one of the chief engineers of the Known Artillery School. So, for listeners who may have like zero idea what we're talking about right now, which is totally okay, go out and get the book. Um, known is sort of the last. Uh, bastion of resistance as Tamar Khan's horde uh, comes comes crashing through, um, you know, the mountains of Morn and and through the border princes and and into Wissenland and and just is just rolling over, you know, towns and villages and and even some cities, right? But Nuln is Nuln is not to be trifled with. And, and Nuln has had knowledge that Tamar Khan, uh, this, this chaos incursion, um, has been on the way. And so the Countess of Nuln, um, Emmanuel, I think is her name, uh, is, is definitely, uh, maybe a cut above, I would say some of the other nobles and some of the other Lords, um, and so she's fully prepared to deal with this this horde. I mean, she's going to stop it at all costs. And um, the army that I have built uh, for for Warhammer Fantasy, uh, it's it's really not huge. It's maybe a little over three thousand points. Is the Empire um, army that's out of this book? And so it just really captures my imagination. Let me see where it's where it starts. Uh, we could probably go to page. Let's see. Okay. Yeah. The Empire Bestiary starts on page 147. Um, and we just have like some amazing uh, full color plates. The art in this book is, is super uh, iconic. I got to find out who it's done by because it's all done by the same person um, stylistically. It looks like it's all done by the same person, which is really cool. It's got that sort of coherency throughout the book. Um, but the first character we come to is probably the coolest character, hero, uh, in all of Warhammer uh, fantasy. Uh, he's a lord choice, so um, hero might not be the right word. So he's a lord. Theodore Bruckner. The Hand of Judgment, 
the Titan headsman, the champion of Nuln, right? And he's just this fucking massive human, uh, strength four, tough four, um, and his model is bigger than most people, uh, most you know mortal people. But he's just he's still a he's still a mortal. He's still a, a person. He just has sort of uh, abnormal stats. So maybe a little you know maybe so a they little... made a model for him. Oh yeah, they did. Oh yeah, absolutely. Have you not seen it, Pat? I don't think I have. Oh my god, it's amazing. So. So he's riding a uh, a demigriff, uh, but the demigriff, of course, is bigger than normal demigriff knights. I want to say this model preceded the uh, the sort of the demigriff knight that that Warhammer Fantasy eventually released for Eighth Edition. Um, so you've got Theodore Bruckner riding on his monster mount demigriff Reaper, and this guy is just so badass, right? He's he's um the Countess Emmanuel, who's the Elector Countess of Nuln. He is her personal champion. Um so he fights all of her duels for her. And so if any of the nobles are sort of getting out of line, uh she kind of she she sends him in to sort of kind of put him back in place, right? And so as Nuln is going into lockdown, as Tamarcon's horde is sort of um, cutting off all avenues of, of escape and su- resupply into Nuln. The nobles are getting a little spooked and, and uh, not really wanting to uh, contribute to the defense of Nuln, right? They're, they don't want to pay the taxes that the countess is levying on them to supply for the defense of the city, right? Because they're essentially... Um, greedy and uh, self-serving um, uh, aristocrats, right? Um, but the Countess of Nuln is like, who cares how much treasure is in the coffers if the city is burned to the ground, right? It doesn't matter how much money you, or gold or treasure you have if you're all dead. Um, so she sends this guy, Theodore Bruckner, out to just fucking take names and get the nobles in line which is certainly what he does. And then he even has a further purpose, which I won't spoil um, for the listeners because it's too good to spoil. Uh, you have to read it. Uh, it's a little bit of a tearjerker ending. Um, but he is, uh, he is my favorite hero slash lord character, special character, whatever you want to call him, uh, in the game. And he certainly is badass. And his rules, his rules are, are like the perfect thematic equivalent of of what he is in the lore and that i love to see that right like when somebody's rules on paper and then how it translate in translates in game represent the sort of the story arc of that character um in the the lore that's that to me that's a win right that's perfect you know so to me they did a really good job with this guy he's sort of the centerpiece of of my army um, and then we go to Castellan Engineer Jubal, uh, the Nuln Ironsides, page 150. And so the Nuln Ironsides are very interesting as a unit. Um, they are the artillery school of Nuln's um, handgunners. And so because Nuln is the um, 
basically the place where all of the uh, engineers are trained for the empire. Uh, there are some engineers are trained in Altdorf, um, but the majority go to Nome to receive their training on cannons, mortars, um, organ guns, everything, right? To include handguns, handgunners, all the all the black powder, uh, you know, sort of war machines and equivalents. So they have access to some specialized equipment, heavy armor, and um, if you bring Jubal Falk, which if you're a fool, if you don't, um, then those handgunners get the ability to pay two points to get upgraded for heavy armor. And then Jubal Folk has a special rule which says black powder discipline. Any Ironside handgunner unit that contains Jubal Folk may reroll to hit rolls of one, uh, does not apply to himself. Um, and then he's also an engineer with all the normal rules that apply. So you can get some really powerful synergies, um, which I think is appropriate uh, for the costs of bringing uh, these characters. So I will also <clears throat> I will also say this: I don't think that this book uh, creates any major um, inconsistencies with like units out of the normal book. Uh, I don't know. Jason and I have played some games. Jason's played his Chaos Dwarves. I've played my Dark Elves out of regular 8th edition. It felt balanced to me. It really didn't seem like either one of them uh, had the advantage. They seemed very well um, balanced in terms of, of rules and, and options. The one character I don't have for uh, my army, which I will sometime get, uh, is uh, the Magistrix Elspeth von Draken. Uh, she is <clears throat> probably one of the most amazing models Forge, Forge World has ever done. Um, she's a level four uh, wizard, Lore of Death, who rides on a Carmine Dragon. Um, just amazing uh, stats and great lore. She's certainly responsible for saving. Uh, if not known, uh, then then sort of the the end game with Tamarcon. And then we get to the Marienburg class land battleship, the wonder of the age. So this this model has sort of started the whole thing off. It's what I told you guys. Um, I won't really go into how I sourced it. Uh, that's a story for another day. Uh, if you guys find me at a convention somewhere, I certainly will tell you. Uh, but it, it's a uh, it's it's an amazing model. It's been out of print for a very very long time. Very hard to find, uh, but just an absolutely gorgeous centerpiece to any army. The Marienburg class landship uh, in the story, there were six of these that were being made at Nome at great cost um, to Marienburg, and so. They were being built and sort of the steam engines were being um, uh, built into the, the Marienburg landship and then they were being um, weaponized with different uh, sort of uh, cannonades, et cetera. So, so they, were, they were set for delivery to Marienburg and uh, Countess Emmanuel, because she's smarter than the average countess, right? Or Electric Count said, uh, "Yeah, we're not sending those. Uh, we're gonna keep them. 
to defend Nuln. And she basically uh, paid off whoever the merchant princes were that uh, had requested these at great cost, and she used them in the defense of Nuln. And they were very instrumental in, uh, in sort of repulsing the horde. And there's some other great units in here. I won't go into you know, we'll run long, uh, but uh, it's it's just, uh, it's it's a great book. Um, I've always liked units that have that depth of background, um, that sort of special uh, lore. And um, yeah, so that's, that's what I've done. I have a unit of Manon's Blade, and I have, uh, well, I have Leopold the Black, and then I have some other assorted characters as well. I was going to say, actually, Dave, I think Leopold the Black is probably, I mean, my favorite version of like an empire general. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, like he he's very much the, like his model, like essentially just it puts out this air of, of, I know what I'm doing. I'm the head, you know, that kind of sort of. Oh, he's a bastard. Kind of thing. Oh, no, he's, I know. Yeah, he's a total bastard. He's he is a mercenary um, to the core, um, hired to basically, yeah, um, mount you know mount the resistance. But but yeah, yeah, he's he is good. And the thing about taking so you have to take Leopold the Black uh, because Theodore Bruckner can't be your army's general, right? He that's not what he's about. So Bruckner, um, he's the, the the you know he's the countess's headsman. Um, he's not in, he's not about leading armies, right? He's not about tactics on the battlefield and you know giving out orders. This dude's got one purpose, right? And that's killing people, you know, big big people, right? He's taking heads. But so, so you does have he to function yeah. that way too. Or, sorry, mm-hmm. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was going to ask. So does he function as a essentially a hero killer on the? Or yes. On the table? Yes, that's that's exactly what he does. That's his sole purpose. Um, do you have to, so if you're going to play the army, which is not really a thing, you just take basically all the you take all the choices out of the book. Then you have to take Leopold the Black. So Leopold the Black becomes your general. Uh, of the army so he's also a lord choice he's not a super expensive lord choice um but he is a lord choice and then he becomes he sort of functions as your army general and then um you know if you're playing at whatever three thousand points you've got what you know 500 points to spend on um i guess more than that what 750 yeah some you got seven you have 750 to spend on on lords, and so you kind of squeeze those two in. Um, that's your, you know, your lord choice, and uh, and you you go forth and do great things. So, um, but yeah, you have to take Leopold the Black, so because he he basically then functions as your 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 commanding general, your general on the battlefield. So, but yeah, that's sort of. Um, I mean, I I don't want to go too long, and, and that seems like we're at a good point. Uh, super cool book, full color plates, maps, rules. I mean everything. So yeah, I, I mean we, it's it's yeah. a piece of art more than more than just a book. You know, 
right? What more could you ask for? Yeah. Touche. But um, <laughs> Jason, do you An- have another book? Is what I, I want to ask. Yeah, right? I mean, like, definitely yeah. another book. But... That's what I'm asking for. Just one more time, we're gone. Just one more, yeah. I mean, in a few years, guys, we may we may very well get it. You know, well, we, here's we, we can hope and dream, right? Well, Jason, do you have any rules for us tonight? Or are you saving that for a uh, good old fashioned thirty k episode? Uh, I'm saving that for a thirty k episode. But if we want to talk at something offhand while we got chaos dwarfs like in the pipe, yeah, uh, reading through the rules again, and after. Uh, you know, playing with Dave a while back, I forgot how much it feels like the Chaos Dwarf army list was designed by something, uh, by somebody who at some point was just like really shit on by ogres. Because the entirety of the Chaos Dwarf like war machines are all about high strength multiple wounds. So, so it's just a hard counter. Oh, if you hit a squad of bulls or iron guts or something dead on with a magma cannon, that's a uh, teardrop template with a strength 5 armor piercing and multiple wounds D3 on every one. And just think about how many of those big, chubby, like 40 millimeter square templates you can fit under one of those. (laughs) Right? So I feel like at some point, like somebody at the Forge World studio just like ogres stole his lunch money or like his girlfriend or something. And he just designed chaos dwarfs to be able to rain down the vengeance. He never could, but I, I appreciate the fact that he did. Yeah. Makes for a cool army. I think we all do. I think we've all experienced how, how good ogres can be. And uh, yeah, I think it's nice that they have, they have a counter somewhere. Everybody's got to have someone. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I guess that's uh, it for us. As far as plugs, I'll just say uh, welcome to the new year. It's good to be back and, and talking. And we'll be back with a, uh, another Heresy episode next. But we hope you all enjoyed this one. Uh, Dave, you got anything? No, I don't really have anything. I just, yeah, we're going to be back with lots of heresy, um, lots of heresy in 2020. Uh, uh, you know, not exactly sure where we're going next, but uh, but it, it'll be it'll be good. There'll be titans and knights and and uh, mechanicum for sure. Oh my! Oh. <laughs> yeah, um, Jason. I am, dude, I got to ramble about Chaos Dwarfs for like 20 minutes. I am happy. I am good. Fair enough. Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening and, uh, fuck off, Craig. Fuck right off, Craig. <laughs>